hello, and welcome to a fairly special episode of the Content Minds. Uh, my name is Ryan Broderick. With me is my co-host Luke Bailey, and we are recording this on Thursday, uh, which is hopefully the day that most of you will be hearing it. This is kind of the, one of the first times we've done this, but we typically record on Wednesdays, and with the situation in Ukraine being as fluid as it is, we decided we would try to get this to you as up-to-date as possible. This week, we are talking about misinformation around the Ukraine crisis, but then we're also talking about how the internet impacts a war like this, how we... how um, We're talking about this. This is what we're talking about. It's a big topic this week. Yeah, because this is a a situation that has not really occurred before. Uh, in terms of there have been wars, but they have tended to be I don't know the right way to put it, but they have tended to be... Every war is slightly more online, uh, and so this is the most online war of all time. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, this, this, that is, uh, that's actually a good title for the episode. Let's make it that. The most online war of all time. Um, for now. Until the, until, until the until next one. Until the next one. Um, so if you somehow don't know what we're talking about, um, last night, Russia invaded Ukraine. And they have been shelling major cities. There's been fighting on the ground. And as we record this, it, reports indicate that a possible direct invasion of Kiev or Kiev is highly likely. We're going to be focusing on what we always focus about, which is the content side of this, the internet side of this. We're going to stay in our lane. So I guess to, to, to open things up here, Luke, like, what are your first impressions of a content war like this? Because I'm... I'm kind of blown away. Yeah, so I think it is a... Yeah, it's obviously a very unusual war uh, in terms of it's the most online war of all time. But what you would typically expect from this is a lot of stuff similar to what happens in the Middle East during ISIS, during uh, the Arab Spring, maybe obviously it was a little, little bit longer ago, where there is a bunch of disinformation that floats around. In fact, it's mostly disinformation. Like, that's always kind of been the way that this has been. Like, every mo you can't trust a single thing you see. Uh, and there's actually, like, six real videos or images of something from people on the ground, from, from uh, like, non-news sources on the ground. Uh, and the rest of it is old or CGI or faked or, or wrong in some other way. Um, and in this one, the exact inverse has happened. And just everything is real. Um, it's partly because of the scale of it. Like it is not is an isolated, you know, some isolated fighting outside one town. It is across an entire country. That country is, you know, close to Europe, as people have been pointing out today. Like there are explosions happening and, and aircraft, like bombing. And, you know, these, these, it's happening in places that are closer to me as I sit here in London than Lisbon is, for example. Um, because it's, is that it's, true? It, is Ukraine closer to you than Lisbon? Uh, the, the near end of it is. Uh, right. it depends exactly where you are, and like, there's some complicated bits, but it's it's not like it's a a whole world away. It is in the same ballpark that that we're in. Um, but yeah, there are a huge number of people with smartphones as a result. Uh, you know, I've joined as many. I mean, this is a big sign of it. I haven't used Telegram in a little while, but obviously jumped back onto Telegram to kind of look for stuff. Um, and. I had to like exit all of my QAnon Pepe the God Emperor groups because that was the last time I used Telegram properly. Ah, right. And now I'm going, oh, cool, let's join all of the Ukrainian resistance groups now. Um, 
but yeah, the number of stuff that's just, there are clips from everyone. There's so much stuff coming over from, from, you know, helicopters and fighter jets flying over city streets and suburbs. Um, and it is almost all real. That's not to say there isn't fake stuff out there. Um, and I'm specifically talking about Twitter and Facebook here. Um, but it is mostly real. And I think that it's, it's, it's kind of a reminder that misinformation fills the gaps when there isn't good information out there. Actually, this time, there's a lot of information out there. So as a result, there's not really any much misinformation. I just did the math while you were talking. I was listening to you, but I also got curious and I did the math. Am I wrong? You, you are as close to Ukraine right now as a New Yorker is from Denver. To that put sounds... that in perspective for our listeners, you are about a hundred miles closer to Ukraine than an American is sitting in New York from Denver, which is another American city. <laughs> in case nobody yeah. realized that, um, I'm actually I'm I'm eyeballing it now, and I'm pretty sure that where I plan to get married in the summer is further away from London than Ukraine is. Yeah, I don't want to make this crisis all about Luke, but um, <laughs> yeah, so. No, I, I agree with you in, in terms of like the torrent of content being recorded. And what's really fascinating is it, it, it made me think of two things. One, it made me think of how during the rise of ISIS, there was kind of like a content wall up between normal internet and ISIS internet. And ISIS's like big PR strategy was to break that wall by posting like beheadings on YouTube or something. And so there was like a real feeling of like, ooh, I shouldn't see that on the internet because I'm on the I'm on the real internet. I shouldn't see war internet. Yeah. And then what's also fascinating is my first like feelings waking up this morning looking at Twitter, this reminded me of the Malaysian Airlines crash actually more than anything. Because it was it was it was like this thing where like a catastrophe and and like gore and like you know graphic images had hit a central feed in which it normally wouldn't be there. Like, even with all of, like, the mass shootings in America, we typically, like, in America at least, you, you typically don't see that stuff. It's it, there, There's sort of, like, an agreement where it's, like, you don't post that on major social networks or it gets scrubbed away really fast. And, like, this morning, you know, I woke up and the first thing I saw on, on Twitter was it was a picture of a dead body. Um, and that is new to me. That And it was being shared by, like, just people and 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 it was real and and then and at one point I saw one that was a legitimate just wire photo that that you know it's it's a it's a different it's a different feeling entirely this time in a way that is very jarring yeah exactly um you know it also helps that you know this was known to be coming this was not an unexpected thing uh which means that yeah there are a lot of wire photos and reporters out there already um but yeah, like it feels completely different because it's like, oh, this is this is happening, and we can pretty much track it in real time. Yeah, and the and the and the misinformation so far, from what I've seen, like I I've 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 a few threads I've been following all day of people who have been collecting it, and it's not, it's not as bad so far as I would have expected. Like a lot of it does just seem to be people who like are just sharing whatever they see, and not it doesn't seem to be particularly politically motivated. Um, but at the same, but at the same time, like, I assume that stuff is coming. Like, I, I assume the, like the state sponsored misinformation or disinformation just hasn't arrived yet, or it hasn't broken through its own weird bubble yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I mean, I don't even know if it will, because it's, again, it's, it, I, I really think the misinformation fills the gap when there's not good information. 
which means you know an explosion unexpected explosion in a city like um the Beirut explosion was like loads yeah. of misinformation loads of other stuff out there because like there was nothing there no one knew anything this like we know exactly what's happening the Beirut explosion though is also being shared sometimes as is, footage yeah. from Ukraine like there's a lot of that there's a lot of like other building exploding this is happening to me because I, I i i my theory about misinformation like for many years is that the majority of it is spread by people who are at best well-meaning and at worst like just trying to get clout yes for or sure. like people who like don't have the time to figure out what's going on like for instance I, I i i fell for some misinformation this morning and spread it by accident which was there's a big tweet going around from uh a user named uh Paradoomer, um, who was then sharing a tweet from like a crypto person who said that they supported Ukraine's army for a thousand dollars a month on Patreon. So I was like, okay, well, what is that? So I went and there is a Patreon that you can support run by Save Life in Ukraine. And it is being promoted by Ukraine's official website. But what I tweeted and then had to delete, it's not being run by the Ukrainian government. It's run by an independent organization that appears to be like giving their funds to the Ukrainian government. It'd be kind of like if like the VFW was like, we're going to give you, we're going to give our money to the government to defend our country, I think, but like, it's so muddied and obviously it's like a well-meaning thing, but like it's going, you know, the original tweets going super viral. Cause everyone's like, Oh my God, Ukraine's crowdfunding on Patreon for, to fight Russia. Yeah. This is not, as far as I could read, it's also not going towards the army. It's not military in any way. It is supporting. That's what's unclear. It's unclear if they're now giving it to the army because it's the reason I think it got confused is because Ukraine's official website before it went down, because now the domain is down, yep. was including it as a way to support the country along with other ways to donate to their effort to defend themselves. So that's, I think, where, where the confusion has come from. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. It is this moment where I think also the incentives of Twitter have become like very clear. And this has always been a problem with Twitter, which is that Twitter, you know, makes everyone want to be an armchair expert on a pandemic or on inflation or on uh, fascism. And now everyone is a, you know, an expert on the war. And it's, it is a, it's a cooked in thing for Twitter because, and I think, I honestly think it's probably because Twitter is used by journalists. So like everyone is like, I'm a journalist on Twitter, even if you're just like a shit poster or, you know, a podcaster or whatever. I don't know. I, it, it, it makes things the, the shift, the shift from people who are pandemic experts to people who are Ukraine experts was like, gave me nosebleed. It was ridiculous. Yeah. It was, it, it was very fast. It feels very much like when. It feels very much like when middle-aged men get super into running a fake town in their train set, but it's Twitter. Like that's, that's how it feels to me. It's like, it's like a bunch of like middle-aged men treating Twitter as their like hobby shed. It's like, I'm a war expert now. <laughs> I, I'm happy to say I am not a war expert. I, I know pretty much one thing, which is the internet. And even that I don't know very well, but, or at least I'm open to learning more. You know, that would be the difference there. I guess like to to sort of move to the to the next kind of section here, I guess, like, do you think what do you think about like the idea 
uh, that Ukraine is like posting through it, like on their like on their official Twitter account, they're like tweeting things. They're sort of like they're being very online as this is happening, which I think people are finding very jarring. I mean, it is jarring. It's not. It's not going to be something that's not jarring. It's incredibly jarring. Um. Yeah. I. I. I mean, what? What? I think the way the thing that Ukraine is doing kind of is like I don't know what. On the one hand, it's like, what are your goals? And the goals are to win a war. Now, is it helping with that? No. Is it harming with that? And probably not. Like, it feels very much like something that's being done for the benefit of like the West rather than Ukrainians. Because all the Telegram channels I've been, no, I have not seen it, all the Ukrainian ones I'm in, I have not seen it mentioned once. Like, it's not what people are talking about. They are sharing. Well, they're also tweet, they're, they're tweeting in English, largely, which is. Yeah, I mean, thing. that too. But they are, they are, yeah, all the Ukrainians are talking about actual things that Zelensky and his other ministers are posting on Twitter and Facebook, not what, like, the, not the memes. I don't know. It seems, it seems like such a weirdly misjudged thing. But also at the same time, kind of immaterial. Right. Well, I found a really interesting thread kind of on this idea that I really wanted to talk about today. It's from a Twitter user named Scholars Stage. And Scholars Stage is, is run by Tanner Greer, who is a writer, uh, based in Taiwan. And I don't know if I agree with this thread, but it was sort of the most concise take on this. So I want, I want to read some of it because I, I do find it interesting. So they got mad because. A uh, counter-corruption advisor to Congress named Paul Massaro uh, in the U.S., he tweeted that the person who's running the U.S. Embassy Kiev account is great because they were like posting very online things about the impending invasion earlier this week. And then Scholar Stage replied with this huge thread writing, no, 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 no. The meme reinforces Putin's narrative. It doesn't subvert it. The more serious problem, did we learn nothing from Hong Kong? When actual violence is on the table, it turns out that meme wars actually bring a cause nothing. They, 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 they do nothing. Worse than nothing, actually, as success on the internet convinces activists they have more momentum and outside support than they ever actually do. Focus moves away from strategic calculation in the real world to chasing performative victories in the virtual. Memes and quote-unquote God tweets and ratios have poisoned the minds of a generation. This is what happens when your diplomatic core reads more tweets than books. The terminally online cannot distinguish the actual from the image. This is what it looks like when they're given responsibility. I don't know if I totally believe that. Um, Scholar Stage also went on to write a full post on this titled Thoughts on Shitpost Diplomacy, which I love that even – I love that concept. Um but I guess, like, do you – what do you think about that? Do you agree with that? I mean, I do, I think, because I think a really good comparative example, because I do broadly agree with this, and I think I agree with it on both a kind of specific level but also a, a broader level, um, which is that actual change is often not related to, like, symbolic change. Like, broadly speaking, we are talking the sa this this is the exact same motivation as, like, you know, um, global mega corporations doing, uh, of changing the color of their logo for Pride Week. Like, 
it's that it has that exact same thing where it's like this is a fun thing it's the visible thing everyone talks about this and kind of misses the big thing but equally i think that you can do it on top of that without really like if you are also making for example in that case if you're making major change to your policies great in this case if you are also doing the on the ground organizing of a war like fine that seems like not a problem i think maybe the best example of this is biden getting elected in 2020 because all of the discourse about that was like you know we had what a small number of extremely well not extremely liberal people but like center left people ish uh who just hated trump and everything he represented that's all they cared about uh and then you had a very hard left of like activists who were constantly posting about defund the police and whatever it was and if you actually look at the successful biden campaign he just did neither of those things and it focused on hey here's where he help your wages here's how what we do to you know get improve your child's education and make the the trains run on time and all this stuff and that was kind of like what the actual biden campaign was like 90 percent of the time uh and that was the message that everyone saw but then the thing that happens online is just completely separate to that and they, they did some polling the other week actually on it on defund the police because they were specifically curious about whether it affected um latino voters uh and it, whether they were kind of like particularly worried about this because it was such a meme of defund the police and it turned out that they mostly hadn't heard of it uh and given like what a, a thing that that was thought to be as like the number one thing they mostly just hadn't heard of it nor cared about it that's so it, it mind-blowing at all. that's yeah, absolutely mind-blowing but i think this is the exact same thing of it kind of does nothing but it can make people think that the change is happening much more than it is there's also, there's another example over here. There's a guy, uh, in the UK called Peter, some, uh, Peter, Peter Stavanovich, I think. Um, and he put together a two minute video on Twitter, uh, that just was a list of times that Boris Johnson had lied. Uh, oh, yeah. Of, I've seen some, that one. Right. Some of which were lies, some of which were not, whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. The point is, is that he spent months saying, this video has been seen by 9 million people, now by 10 million people, now by 11 million people. How can the government ignore it? And it's like, the government can ignore it because those aren't real numbers. And you've completely deluded yourself into thinking that they are. And I see, yeah. He's just counting Twitter views. And it's like, what do you, what do, you do? This is meaningless. It was bizarre. But equally, other people who are very online and very into this stuff uh, and constantly talking on Twitter about how Boris Johnson was awful or whatever also did the same thing. And were like, this video is such a perfect example of this problem. And it's like, it's not. No one's seen it. No one cares. We've proved it. It's all, I mean, it's, it's that idea. It's like, well, we did it online. It's all done now. But so there is another dimension here that I do think is really important to point out. But I also want to circle back to this, uh, to, to this idea that you're talking about. But before we move there, I think that there's like a two phase thing that happens with online representation. So like the first phase is like, if you remember like the first time you saw, you know, um, a dead body on the internet or, or the inside of a hospital room with someone very sick or, or, you know, a part of society in which you haven't really seen a, a, a true visual representation of, you know, um, I think there's something very powerful there. I think there's actually something very powerful in a country live tweeting its own invasion. I think there's like, I think that, that, that actually fundamentally helps us as human beings better understand a part of the human condition in which mass media tends to gloss over. They dramatize it, sure, but we haven't actually seen the, the desperation in that way conveyed that way. And the fact that like they can be sharing a political cartoon from the official Ukrainian Twitter account that compares Putin to Hitler as his troops are invading them. 
I think that's all really fascinating and, and, and useful. But then I think there's like a second wave in which that like representation and that very like novel representation be, can become performative. And I'm not saying that like Ukraine is being performative about being invaded by Russia, but I do think that like, <laughs> I think that there's, there's this thing where like the first time it happens, it's like, it, it's novel and interesting and, and, and important. And then the second time it, be, it, 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 it becomes like its own form of content. And it, like, depending on how the next, few weeks and months play out like we could end up having like kind of like the pandemic like a bunch of like weird men on medium and uh, blogging about you know flattening the curve and like they've become like a because everything that goes viral creates a, a content economy around that thing that then just continues if that makes sense yes that does that does make a lot of sense um yeah i mean it's very hard to say because and like, what is, what is it, what does a meme matter at this point? Probably not a huge amount, but I do think that like, I do think one important thing is that historically people have joked about this stuff a lot. Like it is not a new thing to think that this is funny. Um, there were in the trenches, like soldiers created their own like satirical magazines to pass around to like joke about stuff. Like it is normal to joke about this. And there's always a thing of like, I can't believe we're joking about this. And it's like, Actually, that's kind of reasonable. That is actually not a wild thing to be doing. That's funny. I was actually thinking about this. I was thinking about this this morning where I was like, I bet there's going to be a ton of people on Twitter who's like, it's not okay to joke about war. And like, obviously, if I wanted to just like ruin my whole day, I would have tweeted like, I'm going to bet that memes about war are probably the second oldest thing that humans have been doing other than war. Like we're actually (laughs) seeing like we're seeing the online upload of like an extremely old form of human expression like the there is a reason why like you know armies have like comedians come visit <laughs> like there's a <laughs> there's a there's an entire infrastructure for entertaining soldiers it's uh it's one of the oldest pastimes uh and it and it's i think that's actually a really jarring thing which is that like we tend to think of ourselves as this, like very high-tech civilization that's using the internet to socialize but a lot of the things that are popular on the internet are like the oldest forms of anything like you know pornography or or like uh racism like war like these are all pretty basic human things that are now happening in front of us and that and i think the ugliness of them is shocking to us sometimes yeah exactly so much of what is a problem on the internet is a problem because of people not a problem because of the internet it is the internet has accelerated and allowed us to define it and effectively like put it in a little box and be like look at all of this stuff that does the same thing yeah, I mean, there's also like an argument to be made that like if the internet had come before television, I think we would be, we would feel that television was a bizarre misrepresentation of reality. Like after a hundred years of like increasingly dramatized TV and particularly TV news, I think we just have this idea that like, oh, like reality has to shape TV. I mean, that's kind of like the, the, the heart of the QAnon conspiracy, which is like the world needs to be a demented West Wing episode. And now, like, with the internet, we're seeing, like, very fundamental dark parts of being human happen kind of pretty close to how they happen. So, like, you know, a person like me sitting on the other side of the planet can, like, watch a video of of a Ukrainian city being sieged and, like, that's how it looks to a degree. And that's kind of a new thing. Like, we, we really haven't had that before. Yeah. No, that is brand new. Um. And yeah, and it wasn't the same in 
it has not been the same in other modern uh, conflicts. Can I pick up on one thing that I think is really interesting about both the way this is covered and understood by people, um, and, you know, it's the internet, so we're talking about Gen Z here, um, which is what's happened on TikTok today, because that is a very different story. I'm glad you brought this up because I woke up this morning and I had a really horrible thought, which was, oh no, TikTok is going to react to a war. Yeah. And it's been so, it's been really interesting because it's kind of fallen into a small number of categories. One is influencers who makes jokes, making jokes. That's normal. That's the same as it was on Twitter. Um, but what is different is that the misinformation on TikTok is bad. Uh, there it's are bad. It's really yeah, bad. It's really bad. And I think that that is the exact problem of part of it. Part of it's a mechanic of TikTok in that it's very hard to directly respond to a post. So, you know, one of the things that people always got kind of, uh, mad about people with Trump was that when there were all those people who would, uh, respond and say, uh, whenever Trump tweeted, be like, actually, this is incorrect, and here's the correct link to it. And it was like Trump's reply guys thing that everyone hated. Yeah. But equally, that was also quite valuable because it meant whoever saw that tweet also saw the correcting information. So it's not, it, like, it's one of those things that's like, it seems annoying if you're a, 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 not, a non-normie person, but if you're a normal person using Twitter, if they exist, uh, then it is a, it actually does make sense. You can't really do that on TikTok. Like, you can just do a new video, but there's no way to link to the original video to be like, this is wrong. And all it takes is, like, one person to see that video, download it, and then duet it, and then it's out in the world. Like, even yeah. if you realize, like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have posted that. Like, it's out there. Yeah, but with bad tweets, they kind, like, they kind of go away. Like, there's kind of a... uh there's kind of a decent way to deal with Twitter misinformation. And it also, it feels so ephemeral that like it doesn't really stick around very much unless it creates like a headline or something. But TikTok, it's in the feed. Like th that is the only thing you're seeing really. Yeah, exactly. And there is a, well, actually a really good example. Um, Philip DeFranco, who is, uh, a YouTuber who got well known for kind of doing initially, I think he had something else really, but he kind of became like a, YouTube drama slash real news guy. It was very strange I, how he kind of mixed. I him think up. I think of him as like the Jake Tapper of YouTube drama in a way. Yeah, he's like a very like respectable that. drama guy. Yeah, but he has built a following on TikTok. Um, inevitably because it kind of fits what he does. Uh, he's got about a million followers, maybe a little bit more. Um, and I was just skimmed through his videos earlier, and I was like, oh yeah, no, your big video on it, which is like five million views, um, which is not an amazing metric on TikTok amazing accurate metric on tiktok but like a lot of people engage with it um it has like a bunch of clips in there that are just not from this invasion <laughs> and it's and like they've oh, since no. been debunked but on twitter and you know now his, his that was last night it was like 12 hours ago and that one had a bunch of wrong stuff the one today that's all correct because we, there are enough videos out there but there's not really kind of any response about it there's not really any there's no one even really responding to it being like hey Clip two and clip four or whatever it is are not the, are not from this war. Uh, there's a bunch of other big videos that have gone really big of just kind of, Oh, this is what it's like in Ukraine right now. And it's just not. It's often like a, uh, there's a one that's going around quite a lot of a lightning strike on a transformer from like, Oh, yeah. Six weeks ago. And that one's gone really, really big for a few different people. And 
yeah, I think the TikTok misinformation thing is a much bigger issue that maybe doesn't, yeah, it, well, doesn't, it doesn't set up quite right. I'm in two camps of this. One, is TikTok misinformation any worse than just the level of misinformation you experience being a teenager? Like the amount of things that like I thought were true that I learned from the age of like 10 to 20 that have later turned out to just not be true. I wonder like, does TikTok make that worse? Also, like the amount of things that I remember from being 16 on the internet is like so small that I have to think that they don't matter that much. Like, does a teenager watching a Phil DeFranco TikTok video who who in that video sees several clips of different wars or conflicts, do they internalize that and have some sort of different idea of the world? Probably not, right? But at the same time, if it gets bad enough or prevalent enough, yeah, we could be talking about like an entire chunk of children who will just never have an accurate idea of what's happening right now because they're consuming it through TikTok. Yeah, exactly. And we also know that TikTok has such a powerful kind of hole that it'll put you in, that if it, it pegs you as someone who is a keen consumer of Russian misinformation, then boom, you're going to be in that hole for a while. So this is this is actually really interesting. A couple of weeks ago, I came across this like bizarre story um, on a website called Defense One, which is like a, you know, it's like a pro-NATO website that publishes all kinds of stuff. Uh, but the headline that they had written about really caught my attention because I was like, well, where did they get that information from? So the headline was titled, War is Coming, Mysterious TikTok Videos Are Scaring Sweden's Children. And it was basically detailing how like Swedish teenagers were becoming convinced from YouTube content that Russia was going to invade Sweden. And so I dug into it. I couldn't find any Swedish content that like seemed to be aligned with this. And the story from Defense One didn't really link to anything. But then some very helpful Swedish journalists got my my mentions. We started talking. They sent me over some stuff, but it turned out to be like very small. We're talking like under 10,000 views on these videos, no engagement. And of those videos, like there are maybe only a dozen. And it didn't seem to be coming from Russian accounts. It actually seemed to be coming from like other Swedish teenagers who were sharing right-wing news clips from Sweden's own TV channels. <laughs> Right. So it wasn't that they, they were being like tricked by Russia. And in fact, the defense one piece has like a really ominous ending where they're like, we need to go after Russian disinformation on TikTok in all countries, which is obviously just like a pretext to like doing all kinds of pro NATO stuff that is not great either. Um, but it, it is interesting that like the idea of TikTok misinformation can be weaponized on both ends where it's like, yeah, the Russians can, can weaponize it maybe. Although, do you really think that like Russian troll farms have like TikTok studios? Cause I think they're probably just making like machine, like they're making like AI voice stuff. They're make, they're not like, there's no people in like a studio in like St. Petersburg filming stuff. I don't think. No, no, I, I don't think, I don't think that's likely. I think China are probably doing that. Uh, or China, China at least are hiring Western influencers to do that. This is, this is a total aside from our conversation this week, but my theory is that it's a two pronged thing. One are Western influencers doing like tourism videos. And then the other one is the bizarre amount of doing content, which is the TikTok Chinese sister app that just seems to break through, break through the firewall and make <laughs> rural Chinese life look incredibly idyllic. And, and, and the, the stuff about how cool Chinese workers are and how good they are after, you know, years of perfecting whatever craft they do. I think it's interesting how that stuff all ends up on Twitter and, you, and Reddit, don't you? 
It's, it is. It's just, I mean, it's just classic good, good pro worker content. I guess there's just like a huge amount of people in America who want to share videos of rural Chinese farmers doing cool tricks with large machetes. I think that's probably just what this is, right? I mean, really, really what they should do is consider putting a load of food in like a big bowl uh, and just like destroying it for like 15 minutes and then, and then being like, look, we've made some delicious Chinese food. Or what about like mildly erotic videos where like a woman eats a live octopus? That would be good. That would be good. Um, oh yeah, some sort of some sort of prank maybe. You know, someone walks up behind someone and like I don't know has a sign saying something and oh, then doesn't show it to them for fifteen minutes. That would be good. Drinks out of a toilet bowl. They have to get yeah, better yeah. aligned with American video values. Although I say all this, but like I actually really like watching like rural Chinese doing videos. <laughs> Anyways, um, I I think it is really it is it is. A giant question mark in my head right now of like, does this TikTok misinformation compound on itself and become like completely unmanageable in like a week? Cause this is the other thing. We're recording this on the, on the, the, the real first day of the invasion. We are the earliest you can be in a war. And the amount of internet content that has already been created is so intense and extreme that like we have weeks, months, possibly years of this. Like how much content is going to be produced and shared and circulated and how much misinformation is going to be produced, how much propaganda is going to be produced. It is, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of mind blowing to think how, how online this is yet to become. Yeah. It's only going to get worse, isn't it? I think, right. Because like how, think of how many videos and photos you've seen today and then multiply that exponentially. Cause as we also know, like internet content, increases exponentially it doesn't increase what's what, what's the thing where it's not exponential linear linear yeah so it's not linear so we're gonna like because everything that is produced will create reactions and then reactions upon reactions and then commentary on reactions on reactions and then propaganda and then weaponized propaganda genuine misinformation genuine disinformation we haven't even encountered deep fakes yet that's true there's just a lot out there that we haven't seen yet um Speaking of which, I think we need to move on and talk about platforms now. We need to talk about platforms, but I need to show you one thing because we've we've hit the the point in the content cycle when you know we've we've gotten good. Uh, this only was posted in the last few hours, um, but yeah, I've just dropped it in the Zoom okay. chat. Let me let me describe what I'm seeing here. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. God damn it. <laughs> so it's kind it's... of amazing. So so we are we are almost I don't know what, seventeen hours out from the since the start of the war. And we've already hit this point. Wow, okay. I okay, you sent me this video. It's uh, a woman named Anna Lynn McCord, who is an actress and human rights activist. Uh, yeah, she was on like, she was on like 90210 and Nip Tuck and stuff. Great. Perfect. Oh yeah. I think I recognize her from Nip Tuck. So the video, the thumbnail is her, who is a blue eyed, thin blonde woman with the caption, dear uh, president Vladimir Putin. And I was like, oh man, this is whatever this is, is just going to be a mess. I could not predict that the next line in this video was going to be, I am so sorry. I was not your mother. And it proceeds 
Well, I'm just going to play the clip so you can all experience the psychic damage as well. Dear President Vladimir Putin, I'm so sorry that I was not your mother. If I was your mother, you would have been so loved, held in the arms of joyous light. Never would the stories plight the world unfurled before our eyes, a pure demise of nations sitting peaceful under a night sky. If I was your mother, the world would have been warm, so much laughter and joy and nothing would harm. I can't imagine the stain, the soul-stealing pain that the little boy you must have seen and believed and the formulation of thought quickly taught that you lived in a cruel, unjust world. Is this why you now decide no one will get the best of you? Is this why you do not hide nor away shy from taking back the world? It was it because so early in life, all that strife wrapped your little body with fear. Wow. God damn it. We are, we are not even a full 24 hours into this. Oh, I saw so many like blue check liberal comedians being like, can history stop happening for at least one day? It's like, <laughs> it's like, God damn it. Just lo- no one, no one's forcing you to be on Twitter. That's the other thing. That's what's so crazy to me about, about, about the way platforms are constructed right now is that like these people don't have to be on Twitter. And if they are, if they want to be on Twitter, they don't actually have to comment on, on the, on the crisis in Ukraine. They don't actually have to do no, that. They don't. It is, it is fine not to do that. This burden that they've put on themselves is sort of like, can't stop living through history. It's so exhausting as they tweet from like their like, you know, Park Slope apartment. Like they don't have to do that. They don't have to be involved with this. It's, it's, it's kind of maddening to be honest. Did you see Andy Cohen's Instagram story? Hey, you could not ask me a more <laughs> cursed thing. No, I have not seen Andy Cohen's Instagram story. Oh man, you're really, really going to fucking hate this. This is like, this is unpleasant. Uh, yeah, I just need to... I'm going to just drop you the... Yeah, here we go. You can just check that screenshot out. Fuck off! <laughs> Fuck me, no! <laughs> God! God damn it! God! Oh. So what, what, what Ryan is reacting to oh. is Andy Cohen of Bravo, who hosts Housewives reunions and stuff sharing um <laughs> a screenshot of his wordle game from the day in which the first guess he's made is peace and i should point out also he has not actually hit enter on it so he is not actually going to enter that word he's just doing it for the purpose of the screenshot and then he's going to delete it because he wants, still wants to do the wordle which yeah, is, I somehow love that, makes it a lot worse i love that he's not willing to risk a round of wordle no for his stupid, oh god, I'm so mad. Oh man, that just that ruined my day. But also, I have kind of a weird thrill from how much I hate that, which I do think is maybe something to focus on here. Which is that, like, once again, we're very early. We have any like how how far into the pandemic did it take for them to sing Imagine? It was really early. Um, uh, it was so I, I I have March 23rd as like my... March March 19th. So yeah, much less, so they were doing this kind of before. Oh, you're right. It went so because I was going to say, you know, how long did the pandemic did it take for them to get to that level? But actually, maybe, maybe this is the cycle, which is all the horrible celebrity reactions are now we spank them and own them and ratio them, and then they go away for a while. Yeah, they all got into it too quick, and then go, oh yeah, actually, this is going to last a long time. We should, we should, we should, we should wait for this a little bit. I mean. 
I hope that's what happens. Although at the same time, maybe like that's how we relieve some stress here is we all just gang up on like various rich people and tell them to shut up. But yeah. on a on a more serious kick, um, this was reported by Patrick Coffey, who uh, covers ad, the ad industry for Insider. And he's been reporting this week on how – so Google has taken Russia Today off like their advertising platform from what I understand. Well, the, it, what, Google Ad Network. I kind of thought they'd already done that. I'll be honest. Well, here's where it gets confusing. Uh, smaller outlets like Sputnik, which is another Russian state media site, are still being monetized. And while Russia Today can no longer use their ad tools as of last year, Russia Today's YouTube account is still running ads. So they are still monetizing their content, which I have to assume Let's head over there, but I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that that channel is uh, a major place where they're gonna uh, yeah put um, a bunch of like straight up propaganda of them yeah they have a they have a military operation video that is live I'm watching it right now it is a live stream of Kiev good smart <laughs> the Russians R- Russian state media is streaming a video of Kiev to their monetized YouTube channel right now. They have 4.5 million subscribers. I mean, we do have a, a slight challenge in the UK in that it is actually a channel that you can get on TV in the UK. Oh, didn't people want to take it off, t- off the TV this month, but then the like Ofcom or whoever re- replied being like, no one watches it, we're not going to deal with it? Yeah, basically. Like, it exists, but, you know, it's one of the, like, late... It is on freebie, so you can access it for free with, like, a basic tv license um but at the same time they're kind of like star and labor said we should remove it uh the tories said they're a disinformation channel and ofcom sort of went like do, do you want us to weigh in on this 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 seems like it would have problems down the line because it, it's very complicated it's, it, there's a lot of like the, the bbc ofcom trying to protect itself and the bbc from the government while pretending that it's not an arm of the government but actually being sort of an arm of the government as is the bbc but sort of not it's all a bit of a mess so they're kind of like they're like this is ofcom just sort of like this is a bad idea and you don't really want to do this and the government sort of nodded and walked away um and not really giving them an answer yeah i mean this is i think going to be a breaking point for a lot of platforms like this which is that like because we're still so early in this like no one is ready to break the all of the arrangements and agreements that mattered up until basically like midnight eastern standard time yesterday like yeah like you you know the fact that youtube is allowing a monetized russian state broadcaster to live stream assuming based on recent reports like where they will be invading soon um is yeah, mind-blowing is actually genuinely mind-blowing to me i'm uh, sorry if i'm like rambling right now i'm just having like kind of a i think i'm having like a panic attack actually <laughs> I, think oh, cool. I think i'm beginning to have like a minor panic attack because like that's insane to me that's insane to me that that's allowed um wow okay um yeah yeah that that, that is uh that is absolutely insane i mean so much so much of this is going to be What's the best way to put it? Um, so much of what we are going to see is going to be Russia pushing an envelope that it has not pushed nearly this far before and finding out, okay, so what actually happens if 
we do this. And the reality is we don't know. We don't know if RT can just continue to broadcast and that's going to be a normal thing. And they say like, okay, fine, but information's free and the internet is like that. So they're sort of going to go like, I guess we leave it or not. Um, but what I will say is that RT would never do this. So it, what you just heard is CNN coverage cutting from air raid sirens to oh, just just the the worst <laughs> the worst Applebee's ad in the world. That's uh, that's just that's just horrible. Just yeah, watching the Applebee's ad split screened with air raid sirens in Kiev is like let's be real about this. There are times when the mainstream media does not do a lot worse than the internet yeah i mean in in a certain way in a certain way it's kind of nice to see you know like there's like a bunch of witches that are casting spells on putin cnn's like screwing up their coverage with weird product placement like pretty white ladies are saying that putin has like trauma and so they want to like be his mom and there's like i saw a tweet earlier from someone being like you know this is a tough time for empaths who are absorbing so much emotional damage. <laughs> like there's something really, there's something really nice about all of that in a weird way. Like there's like a comfort there that like morons are still very much morons for now. We haven't like, I don't know, maybe I'm just trying to find some sort of optimistic angle there. But... I mean, I think the worst take so far is that uh, Putin benefits from white, white privilege. Oh, yeah, I saw that one. That one's really good. Um, although that, that, that's like not super far away from like the reverse of what Ben Shapiro has been tweeting, which is that like Putin's winning because he doesn't care about trans people's pronouns, which is also <laughs> insane. You know, like, like we are still. Oh, and then the, the, the weirdest thing is to see the, the creator of Ethereum come out and be, and be like hardcore pro Ukraine. And in fact, last night he tweeted reminder, Ethereum is neutral, but I am not, which I thought was badass. Yeah, that's. Something, I guess. <laughs> I mean, he, where is he from? He, is he Ukrainian? Oh, he is Russian. So he's a Russian-Canadian programmer. Uh, but last night he tweeted a, a long, a long statement, uh, which uh, machine translation here it reads: "I am very upset by Putin's decision to abandon the possibility of a peaceful re resolution." of the dispute with Ukraine and instead start a war. This is a crime against the Ukrainian and Russian people. I want to wish everyone safety, although I know that there will be no security. Glory to Ukraine, which I thought was, you know, that's, that, that's, that's not nothing, you know? Um, no, it's not. Like it's, yeah, it's bold if you're a Russian person. And th there's also been a lot of Russian celebrities who've come out or a lot. There have been a number of prominent Russian celebrities who've come out and said like, they really don't like this. And given the way that Russian media works, that means that they are, never that's their career ending thing for them um which yeah like respect i guess yeah i mean we're i, I keep saying it because it's true but like we the the land like the landscape of this war and the scale of it and the size of it all of it we don't know yet and and we're sort of watching like the internet influence exactly how those connections are made which sides are taken how that all happens it's it, it's something that like Luke and I are talking about objectively right now, and it's not to like make it not emotional or not acknowledge that like this is horrifying, but it's like this is also kind of a first in history. Like we haven't really 
we haven't had this level of online involvement in a in a, in a conflict like this before. Yeah, yeah. I, I think in many like last year, Luke and I sort of restarted this show in a, in, quietly, like in our heads. We sort of said like this is a new beginning around the insurrection because it felt like okay, that is a line in the sand for how we think about internet content, and now like everything's kind of different. And I think in in a similar way. We are we are wading into another new world here, and I'm very tired of doing that. <laughs> but at the same time, like it does feel like like it, a shift has happened. Would you call it a vibe shift? Fuck! Is this the is this what people were talking about? You know that? Okay, so I was in New York last weekend. No lie, at least a dozen people in the span of three days talked to me about the vibe shift. So. I hope you're all happy. The vibe has shifted. Um, and it looks, it looks like this. I just, I loved that piece so much because it was such a kind of retro 2012 thing. Yes, it did. Where it was like, Hey, everyone's wearing different clothes. Now it's a vibe shift. And I just remember like, wow, imagine like when this was a thing that we cared about. And lo and behold, like a week later, it's like, yep, nope, not happening now. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really, really weird. Um, it is also funny to me that like there's a um there's like a there there do there do seem to be like moments where like right before something really big happens we all do something that's like very old in a way like you know the idea that like Bean Dad happens one day before the insurrection and Bean Dad is basically just Justine Sacco on repeat yeah. and then we like we then shift into this new horrible world and it's like right before you know this we're all talking about vibes and. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, there there does there does seem to be a cycle there. Um, I guess like to kind of wrap this up as best as we can. Wrap something like this up. Like, where do we where where are we going from here? I mean, that's that's the the real question, isn't it? I I I think that there are there are obviously kind of like well, there's basically four routes this can go in in the real world, uh, which are Putin holds his hands up and goes like, mm, shouldn't have done that. Sorry, and retreats. Putin sort of stops where he is and says like okay fine we'll take Donetsk and Lukashenko and that's it and we'll, we'll leave the rest of it Putin kind of storms through the rest of Ukraine and either has a you know a, a either mid-length or long war taking it but the rest of the world sort of goes we really don't approve of this and we will take the Champions League final away from you but otherwise we're kind of just going to say a lot of words about it or the rest of the world gets very much more involved in that we potentially the, the war escalates a lot and I think, yeah, if it's the first two, this goes away in a few months. If it's either one of the second two, then I think the internet is probably going to become a relatively minor player in it, um, in that we will view it through the prism of the internet, but and it will change how we feel about it. But I don't see how it's going to affect much on the ground. Yeah, I think they'll, I, like, it'll sort of be like a three-tiered conflict in which there's the ground conflict, which in, in all its horror... There, there will be a, a cyber war because, uh, actually right before we started recording today, uh, NBC news reported that, uh, Biden was presented options for how to, how to react to this. And some of them include a absolutely unprecedented cyber attack against Russia. So like that sphere will happen. And I assume that will bleed in this case up into a more semantic social web war like a propaganda war there'll be and, and it'll be strange because i think like 
the landscape isn't as simple as it was five years ago when we first learned about like, you know, Russia's internet research agency hiring trolls to pretend to be black Americans to like subvert the, the, the election here. Like this will be a much more complex thing and, and much more like intense level of propaganda being used. Um, yeah. And that is, it's just going to be really confusing. I think, I think it's just going to be a deeply confusing time to be both inside and outside of the conflict. Yeah. So obviously like what's happening in Ukraine and, and, and beyond, depending on how things go, we'll be following it. It's part of internet culture. It's part of internet content. Um, and you know, we'll keep up with it from here. We're going to go over to our bonus episode and talk about the content we consume to stay sane this week. Uh, so for, for supporters, that'll be a nice little pick me up. Uh, but we'll be back next week with uh, a more traditional episode. Uh, I assume, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe, maybe this just becomes like, you know, 1940s wartime radio, but on the internet, who knows? Um, but for now, that's our plan. Um, so thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for your support. Um, and let's, uh, let's go over to the bonus episode and talk about content. What, I, before we leave, what content did you consume to stay sane this week, Luke? Um, I want to talk about the first episode of Genius. I, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I need to talk about that actually. Okay, let's talk about the first episode. Okay, let's go talk about Kanye West over there. All right. Bye guys. Bye.